Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It is great to be with you today. As always, I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. And as always, we got a lot of ground to cover in the fastest 60 minutes of radio as we attempt to slow things down for you, help you divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation, connect the dots, and help you make the news make sense today. And we're continuing to monitor, uh, obviously, the uh, funeral uh, services for uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, we know the President Trump uh, paid his respects today at the Supreme Court, and uh, we'll continue to watch uh, that as it moves forward and obviously as it begins to pivot into who will replace the late uh, Justice of the Supreme Court. And uh, that battle, I think, will begin at about 3 p.m. Mountain Time on Saturday when the President is expected to announce uh, his nominee uh, to replace that. We expect that to be Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, <clears throat> although there are a few uh, others that uh, may get uh, careful consideration between now and then. Uh, also interesting to note, we're just watching on the screen now, really interesting view. You've got uh, former President uh, Bill Clinton and uh, former uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton uh, are there at the Supreme Court, images of them as well. Uh, so fascinating to see who has come by uh, today to the Supreme Court uh, to pay their respects uh, to the late Justice of the Supreme Court. And uh, we'll continue to monitor that as we go throughout the day today. Uh, we're going to dive in. Uh, we've got uh, big things happening early next week. We'll get into debate season. We'll begin on Tuesday night. And uh, we're going to invite you to all be part of this process. As we look at the uh, first presidential debate of 2020, uh, I want to look back a little bit first. We're going to have some fun with this throughout the hour uh, so the, the first debate will be on Tuesday next week, and uh, they've gone to a single moderator format, uh, which I am not opposed to. Uh, I think we had far too many moderators in a lot of the debates over the last uh, two cycles where it became more about the moderators than it was the candidates having an opportunity to, to really weigh in. So I think having a single moderator is a, moderator is a good thing. I think Chris Wallace is a fascinating choice to do the first debate. They'll alternate with some of the other networks as they get into the uh, others and the vice presidential debate, which will be here in Salt Lake City uh, with the University of Utah. We'll actually uh, have Jason Perry from the Hinckley Institute of Politics up at the University of Utah. will be joining us at 1135. Uh, we'll also have our own Lee Lonsberry and live Mike. He's going to come in at 1120 and we're going to break down why we do debates the way we do. 
What are the questions that should be asked that won't be asked? What's the strategy for each of the candidates? What does that mean? And will anybody's minds be moved at all uh, in this process? Uh, And so I want to go back. Uh, Obviously, debates uh, have great and rich history uh, in the United States of America. And the one that I think most people can relate to is the Lincoln-Douglas debates, uh, which were really where Abraham Lincoln uh, shot to the forefront in the in the country as someone who could debate. And these were very lightly moderated debates. There was it was really just about a stopwatch uh, and a clock uh, to see how each uh, got time. And then to me, the interesting thing about those debates was it said a lot by what the candidates chose to talk about for a lengthy period of time, not a soundbite answer, not a two minute response, not a 30 second rebuttal. Uh, But when they really have time to talk, I think we would learn far more about former Vice President Joe Biden and President Donald Trump by just giving them a window of time to talk and see where they go and let them go back and forth and have that kind of exchange. I think it would be absolutely fascinating. Uh, But that's not going to happen this year. So we're going to look at some other ways to do it. Uh, Of course, debates really changed in 1960. Uh, Interesting anniversary coming up here over the weekend on Saturday Uh, is the anniversary of the first televised presidential debate back in 1960. Of course, that was uh, Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy. And uh, I want to play a little bit of sound because this is one of those uh, moments in American history where there's still a lot of debate and a little bit of myth uh, in terms of who actually won that debate and did it really depend on those who were watching on television for the first time and those who were simply listening on radio the way it had been for for decades. So uh, I want to play a little bit of sound just to to have you get a feel for what that was like back in 1960. Uh, Let's look at the opening statements. This was the opening statement from the senator, Senator John F. Kennedy. In the election of 1860, Abraham Lincoln said the question was whether this nation could exist half slave or half free. In the election of 1960 and with the world around us, The question is whether the world will exist, half slave or half free, whether it will move in the direction of freedom, in the direction of the road that we are taking, or whether it will move in the direction of slavery. In 1933, Franklin Roosevelt said in his inaugural that this generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. I think our generation of Americans has the same rendezvous. The question now is, can freedom be maintained under the most severe attack attack it has ever known? I think it can be. And I think in the final analysis, it depends upon what we do here. I think it's time America started moving again. All right. So, again, great uh, oratory there from John F. Kennedy. And, of course, he looked great on camera. So he had a uh, a double bite there in terms of uh, impact. Uh, next, we go to the opening statement from Richard Nixon. There is no question but that this nation cannot stand still because we are in a deadly competition. But when you're in a race, the only way to stay ahead is to move ahead. And I subscribe completely to the spirit that Senator Kennedy has expressed tonight, the spirit that the United States should move ahead. Where then do we disagree? I think we disagree on the implication of his remarks tonight and on the statements that he has made on many occasions during his campaign to the effect that the United States has been standing still. I think we find that America has been moving ahead. But good as this record is, may I emphasize, it isn't enough. A record is never something to stand on. It's something to build on. 
All right, that was Richard Nixon, uh, his opening statement from 1960. Uh, and, of course, the debate goes back and forth in terms of did you watch that debate or did you hear that debate? Uh, those who just heard it uh, tended to lean towards Richard Nixon because he was uh, much more specific in his responses. John F. Kennedy, of course, the great orator, uh, great man of vision, uh, but didn't get to a lot of specifics in that debate. And so, again, if you were just listening, it uh, felt like Richard Nixon had much more substance in it. If you watched it on TV, uh, the overwhelming uh, agreement was that uh, that was uh, a Kennedy format uh, because he appeared smart and confident and energetic, youthful, uh, but ready to lead. And so that was always uh, just a fascinating thing to to look back. If you haven't gone back and watched and looked at those uh, recently, that's a debate worth going back and watching. I know that may be only for the the geeks among us, but I bet I bet Lee Lonsberry has gone back and looked at that debate. So we'll we'll talk to him coming up here at eleven twenty. Uh, also, we've had, of course, some some great uh, lighter moments uh, in our presidential debates, and probably the best known uh, there was uh, President Ronald Reagan in his debate with Walter Mondale. You already are the oldest president in history. Is there any doubt in your mind that you would be able to function in such circumstances? Not at all, Mr. Truett, and I, and I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> so one of the great uh, great moments there by Ronald Reagan, uh, knowing the age question was coming, uh, said he would not use it as a, a political issue, uh, wouldn't exploit the youth and inexperience of Walter Mondale. Now, of course, uh, uh, President Reagan was 73 at the time, uh, oldest uh, president at the time. Uh, but, of course, now we're looking at candidates uh, who are older than that. Also very interesting, uh, 40 years later, uh, that we're looking at presidents that are even older. Uh, also, there were some interesting debate moments that actually didn't have a whole lot of sound. Uh, you did have the uh, George W. Bush and Al Gore debate. Uh, there was one, uh, the first one, where Al Gore was uh, sort of the Darth Vader, uh, heavy size on every answer, every time that uh, George W. Bush spoke. Uh, there was also that moment where uh, Al Gore tried to kind of get in uh, George W. Bush's space as he was answering a question. And it was actually a silent moment where George W. Bush l- just looked over and just kind of gave him a head nod. And, How you doing? <laughs> and then went back to his answer. Uh, and there's been lots of that on uh, both sides of the aisle uh, in terms of great moments, bad moments. And the interesting thing is, what do those moments actually mean in the end? So we're going to start diving into this. We want you to help us on our uh, Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line. If you were the moderator next week in the presidential debate, this is your chance. You get one question. What is the question you would ask the two candidates in the debate coming up next week? Again, you can weigh in on our Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line 57500. We'll go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. And when we come back, as I mentioned, Lee Longsbury is going to join us. We're going to talk about what the questions are, what the format is, and can't we do better than this? Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Great to be with you as always. Fast to 60 minutes of radio. And we've been talking about the debates. They start next week. Uh, debate season will be on. And uh, we want you to weigh in. Uh, Chris Wallace will be the moderator coming up on Tuesday of next week. And so if you got a question, we want to know what it is. If you were the moderator, what would be your first hard-hitting, most important question that you would ask each of those candidates? And uh, so you can do that on the Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line, 57500, get you to weigh in there. Uh, very pleased to have joining us in the studio, our own Lee Lonsberry, host of Live Mike and uh, someone who really understands the debate process and what it means to actually go into that from a messaging standpoint. So I want to tap into his expertise there as a former communications guy for Congressman Rob Bishop. Uh, Lee, thanks for joining us. You thank you thanks so much. I honored to be here. Uh, can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. Just as you were introducing me, <laughs> talking about presidential debates, I remember the first presidential debate I ever attended. Ah. I attended a debate. Now I was not a welcome guest. <laughs> I I was working for KSL and I was sent out to New Hampshire to cover uh, uh, one of the debates taking place yeah. out there. John Huntsman Jr. participating. Uh, many other names we recognize, of course, and. Somewhere in the credentialing department, uh, I did not quite get get, mine. The, get on the list, <laughs> and uh, and so I did, just like you see in the movies where you see some equipment people going back and forth. Uh, I grabbed I saw, a speaker and a box. I grabbed a, uh, <laughs> it was one of those like stainless steel cases. I grabbed it by the handles, <laughs> walked in, nice. set it down where they did, and I parked myself in the corner and observed my first presidential debate in the flesh. Hey, that's fantastic! That is awesome. Well, this one's going to be uh, probably the opposite of that in that there are going to be very few people in the room and only one moderator uh, will be Chris Wallace for this first one. And we were talking just in the newsroom and this kind of sparked me as I was thinking through how we want to break down what what is it that we really want to know. It's easy for a debate to go by and to learn nothing at all. I have a great fear that on Tuesday there may be more of that. We yesterday got our hands on from the debate commission, the presidential debate commission, released a list of topics which have been selected by Chris Wallace. Now, they say pending varying news <laughs> events, there may be some changes to the topics, but the six topics uh, have been selected. Uh, the format, you may have explained it already, but uh, each topic will be allotted 15 minutes. Uh, the candidates will be asked questions. They'll go back and forth. But the topics, the topics are a little bit troubling because we have, you know, especially in this era of communication right. and Twitter, certainly, and YouTube. I mean, we are inundated with me with mo means of communication. Yeah, exactly. So the topic list was uh, pretty straightforward and a little bit of a yawner, I think. And uh, as you go down point. the list, like number one, the Trump and Biden records. Yeah. How do you think Trump is going to respond to a question? Sir, tell me about your record. <laughs> 
He's going to be very praising and he'll yeah. be very uh, critical of Biden's uh, yeah. record and the same vice versa. Next question is the Supreme Court. Yep. Uh, the two candidates have been very clear on their positions on the Supreme Court. Uh, further down the list, COVID-19, a topic to be addressed on Tuesday. Is there any mystery as to what these two gentlemen feel about exactly. COVID-19 and the approach and the response, the economy, uh, race and violence in our cities and the integrity of the election? These topics are all things where, uh, you know, if you we were to mountains ask, of ask in- info. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so I think uh, that that much of the success for Tuesday uh, and, and I will measure success by if the vote, if the potential voter observing is informed, if they learn something new, something new. Yeah, if there is something that they didn't previously know or maybe a way of looking at something. If yeah. somehow they're they're either understanding or the information they have in their mind. And I include myself in that. Right. I'm, I'm looking yeah. at it through the same eyes. Exactly. Uh, if that's changed and that. That responsibility, you know, because of the topic selection is like we know all this stuff. Vanilla, yeah. There will be a, a heavy responsibility to fall on the shoulders of uh, moderator Wallace. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting because uh, if you think of all the moderators that we've had in presidential and, and even primary presidential uh, debates over the last uh, two cycles, really, in many cases, it's become all about the moderators uh, and the different moderators and they're making their moment and they're doing their thing. Chris Wallace obviously is very understated. He learned a few things from his dad. Sure. Uh, and you know, a few things about learning from your dad in a, yeah. in a business. Uh, but Chris Wallace is, is understated for sure. So I don't think he's going to be trying to do the gotcha question, that kind of stuff, but he is one who is going to push back. And I think his greatest strength uh, is his ability to ask the follow up. Question, and, and I that's think that's going to be the game. One hundred percent crucial. What, what, any one of these topics, we know the headline response, yep. but their n- nuance is important. As you and I know, nuance is something that can change minds, it can change attitudes, it can change elections. Yeah. And if he is able to operating within these pre-selected topics, yeah. which I, I've been critical of, but there is room for him to surprise me, and I think to to be a benefit to the the voter. To the we just listened to the opening statements of uh, Richard Nixon and. Then Senator John F. Kennedy. Okay, uh, back in 1960, that first televised debate, which again we've been going back and forth. Those who listened to it really liked Nixon because he was specific and yeah. strong. Uh, those who watched it on TV loved Kennedy because he was, you know, just had that presence and leadership aura and great eloquence. Uh, so uh, very interesting that uh, it was uh, it was actually Kennedy who was talking about records, and he said that uh, records were not meant uh, to stand on. They were meant to build on. And that was an interesting thing. So when we talk about that as the first topic uh, on the schedule, sure. uh, is your record uh, something you're standing on or is it something to build on? Because I, I'm one of those guys who really believes that elections are not about what was or even what is. Elections are always about what's next. Absolutely. 100%. And, and, do you, and will Chris Wallace create space to probably have to force both Joe Biden and President Trump to talk about what's next. And can they understand the value in communicating in those terms? Yeah. They are well-versed on what happened yesterday, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what will come tomorrow and why they could be responsible for making it a better tomorrow, uh, that'll fall on them. I'm glad you mentioned Richard Nixon. Can I promote my own show for yeah. a second? <laughs> you got 30 seconds. So, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, we charge for this. You know that, right? <laughs> today, today at the Nixon Library in California, there will be unveiled a new exhibit. It is uh, an archive of letters which have been buried for years and years and years, only recently discovered. These letters, uh, they date from like the the mid-80s to the early 90s, and it is a correspondence between Donald Trump and Richard Nixon. 
They wow. ended up being uh, kind of fans of one Pen another. <laughs> and they, they, in one another, found kind of shared characteristics and qualities. They cheered each other on. Fascinating. Uh, when uh, Donald Trump was having some media troubles uh, due to some business dealings, <laughs> and also, uh, if you remember his battle with the NFL yeah. from the 80s, yeah. uh, Richard Nixon was right there behind him saying, all right, you're the Go man. man. When, they're, when they're yelling at you, you know you're doing something right. Absolutely fascinating. Those letters uh, released today. I have some excerpts I'll share on the oh, program today. Fantastic. Stay tuned for Lee Lonsberry and live mic coming up later today right here on KSL. Lee, thanks for joining us uh, weighing in here. We've got a lot more to talk about uh, on this topic as we move it all forward. Uh, and we want you to weigh in on this. Uh, what's your question? If you were the moderator, what would you ask? What would you force them to answer uh, if you were being the moderator for the presidential debate, first presidential debate coming up here early next week? And uh, we're going to continue to break this down. we got a lot of ground to cover still on the program And uh, we're going to go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour break, uh, but keep weighing in. 57500, what is your question? Let us know on the Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line, and uh, we'll be back right after the news. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News, and we're going to continue our conversation, uh, really rolling into next week's debate. It's the first presidential debate. It will be fa- one. It will be fascinating to see how many people actually tune in uh, and are watching that. And uh, then it's going to be always fascinating to to watch the moderator, Chris Wallace, a uh, longtime journalist, uh, very much a, a straight shooter, uh, very much tries to stay out of the way, doesn't want to make it about him. So I think those are all good uh, things. The question is, what kind of conversation will it really become and what questions will ultimately be asked? Uh, we're asking you to weigh in. If you were the moderator, what question would you ask? You can let us know on our Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line 57500. We'll get to some of those in just a minute. But first, uh, we are thrilled to be joined today by Jason Perry from the Hinckley Institute of Politics at the University of Utah and uh, the host site for the vice presidential debate. That's coming a little later on. Jason, thanks for joining us. Always glad to be with you, Boyd. Jason, you are a uh, a longtime aficionado of uh, debates and all things that go into them. It, from from the front end, the preparation of the candidates, which is always interesting. Even before that, the polling that takes place that informs the consultants that train the candidates on what answers and sound bites to give. Uh, first, let's get a, a broad brush impression. Uh, what what do you expect to see in this first debate? Well, so I expect all of this groundwork is happening just as you said. It's interesting, even for like a candidate like like President Trump, who says he does not prepare a whole lot for these kinds of, of debates. Uh, a lot of groundwork is still put in uh, before one of these happens. They, they are. They're polling people on the issues that matter most. They're talking to people about the sound bites that, that seem to stick the longest, you know, the, the, the issues that are going to resonate with voters and motivate people because both these candidates have pretty you know, active people on both sides of it. So is there any middle ground they can find? Keep their supporters, find some middle ground, any zingers that are going to stick through the debate. Those are things that are going to be on their mind right now. And this this debate is, particularly this first one, is one that no one wants to uh, have a big gaffe, that they both need to perform very well because this sets the stage for all the next um, debates that are coming up. 
Yeah, and I think that's a you raise a couple of fascinating points, Jason. One, uh, no one wants to no one wants to have the gaff moment because that can define your campaign and sink it. Uh, and sometimes we have seen candidates overcompensate for that and come out so flat. Ronald Reagan came out very flat in the first debate. Uh, Mitt Romney uh, didn't have a great first debate, had a great second debate. Uh, you can kind of look at all of those things as just really interesting. Is there a risk of uh, playing it too safe, trying to play gaff-free? Will that prevent you from actually winning? Well, it actually can. I mean, there is, there is a line that you can get to where it is just being too safe. For these candidates, I'll tell you, I predict both of them are pretty safe. Uh, in this this one, I think they're going to go after each other, not on policy as much, probably on character and approach and style. I think we'll see a few of those kinds of things. But what we've seen, and you gave some really good examples of that historically, is you know there's one will be seen as a little more aggressive in this first one. As you start getting to the next debate and all the way to that last one, where it becomes, wow, you really have to make up for a performance, or you have to double down on a performance before. I kind of see these these debates sort of escalating in that fashion. They start here like it's a warm up round. Don't do anything too too risky. Try to land some solid punches, but realize that this is going to be a few different rounds that you have to go. Yeah, I want to go back to something you said in your in your first response, Jason, because this is really intriguing to me, uh, and that is the uh, keeping your keeping your base happy, uh, keeping them solid and firm and confident. But then you also talk about this this movable section because really that's who. You kind of have to talk to. I mean, the the base of your base is going to be there no matter what you do. Uh, you have a, a secondary base that's most likely going to stick with you because you got a D or an R in front of your name. Uh, but then we got this movable group that will actually decide the election in the end. Uh, how do you thread that needle? Well, it's a hard one, but what you're saying is exactly right. For some of these folks, you know, you don't need to convince people that, to be happy about the car they already bought because they're just going to stay in that car. But there are a lot of people in the country that are still shopping for that car right now. Mm. And so what you have to do is kind of just enough, uh, just to throw out enough of those key issues for that debate so that it confirms and motivates them because you still need their money. Uh, to run a race. You still need them to show up and support people, that kind of thing. But really, it doesn't go so far right. Just enough to keep them happy on both sides, the right and the left, with enough of that substance in the middle for those people who are shopping right now, say, I you know, I think I can really go for this person. Or that issue right there was enough to tip the scale for me, because it is a scale. That's how I look at it with these candidates right now. we got, you know, big, heavy uh, weights on both sides of people who are not going to go anywhere, but yep. just those little weights. And it's that middle that you've talked about a lot of times, Boyd, that is really going to make the difference in this one. Yeah. So one of those middle issues uh, is uh, one of the topics that is on the list. Uh, it's the one that I think is not the, the big yawner. Uh, and that is dealing with the Supreme Court. I've been wanting to get your take on this, Jason, uh, from your perch up there, that do you think it is better uh, for President Trump to drag out the replacement to the Supreme Court for Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Uh, does that take some of those folks who maybe voted? There were a lot of voters who voted for him in 16 on that issue alone, the Supreme Court. Some of those folks have gotten a little tired over the last four years and may have been drifting away from the president's camp. Uh, dragging out, is it dragging it out better, or does that uh, help Joe Biden? Dragging it out, I think, helps Joe Biden. Uh, what, what you said is exactly right, because we've even polled, you and I, both with the Desert News, KSL, and the Inquisitive, started talking to Utahns in 2016 and now. 
as to what issues are most important to them, what is going to drive them to the ballot box. And what you said is exactly right. In 2016, the the Supreme Court picks were one of the highest issues on the list for voters in Utah at the time. And across the country, it was it was a top five also. And, and they sort of waned over time. You know, you get to these other policies. But this opening that has occurred at this particular time, I think, presents an opportunity for President Trump for a, a big talking point right there, which is, hey, this, this, this is one of the biggest things we can have. You can have an impact for four years on the president of the United States, which is what he wants. But for Republicans uh, and, and those conservatives, particularly in the state of Utah, are saying, wow, what we really care about is the impact for the next 20 years yeah. on issues that matter most. So th- that is a huge talking point right now. And I think we're going to make a lot of it in this debate and in the campaigns. Fantastic. Very interesting. All right. We got just a couple of minutes left here, Jason. Uh, I'm going to go to our uh, text line for just a second because we've been having people weigh in. What question would they ask? And then I'm going to ask you for yours. Uh, one, okay. one of our texters, and I love this. They actually sent several questions, but this one I, I really like. Uh, they said, first question, how will your vision for this country help it overcome its current state? And then a second follow-up question to that, how will your opponent's plan or vision harm Americans? Uh, I think that's a fascinating thing to to get into. We were talking with uh, our own Lee Lonsberry that elections are not about what was or even what is today. As important as today is, they're always about the future. They're always about what's next. Uh, and I kind of like that. Yeah. I like it, too, because you have to be a little visionary about it. Yeah. about the policies themselves and where it's going to take us. And if there's ever a time, you know, uh, in, in our lifetimes here where we've got to be thoughtful about the future, this is it. So I love the question. I, yeah. I submit it to Chris Wallace. I know. I think, I think we'll, we'll text that over to Chris, see if we can get that on the <laughs> air there. All right. So now, now the, big, the big challenge here. Now it's the Jason Perry moderated debate. If you were sitting in the chair, what's the, what's the question that you would ask that you think would, would really create the most space for Americans to say, oh, I didn't know that, or oh, that's important for me to know? Uh-huh. So uh, I, I'll tell you, my question gets to this, and uh, everything is so hyper-partisan. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this a lot lately, where every single aspect of our lives seems to require someone to plant a political flag, from <laughs> you know, the kids in the classroom to the masks to the COVID. I, I really, really like to say this something you could only ask to two people that have such a long history in politics. And I think it would be something kind of like this. One policy, one thing you did as an elected official that you would like to redo, that you'd like to maybe revisit. I'm I'm curious about that because it is directional. It's the past, but it's about the future. Yeah. And that ability to learn, because I think that is something that the American people want out of their presidents, out of out of any leader, really, is are, can you learn? Can you transform? Can you can you move forward? Because if if they're stuck or so entrenched that they're never wrong, always right, uh, that's not someone that can really lead you to, to what's next. That's a great question. Yeah, I, I was remembering the, it was Senator Bob Bennett once came up here to the campus and he talked about kind of his career. And he said, I have deeply held convictions about all these things. But I look at, my, at what's happened in my history, and to your point about learning, he said, I have to remember to always keep these things tentative. I have to be willing to learn. I have to be able to adapt, see new circumstances. And as I do that, I can assimilate all the things I've done in the past for a better direction in the future. It's that, uh, that learning aspect. Uh, I love that. It's, it's always the uh, ability to plant your feet firmly in what you believe and be prepared to pivot when new information arises. I think that's the bottom line. Exactly. 
Jason Perry, always love your insight. Uh, we will be talking to you a lot in the uh, coming days as we work our way towards the first Tuesday of November. Appreciate your partnership in our polling with uh, Deseret News and the Hinckley Institute of Politics. And uh, I know there's a lot more to come as we go down the stretch. Thanks, Jason. Uh, thank you, Boyd. All right, we'll go ahead and step aside. When we come back, we're going to talk about the biggest threat, I think, to the country. It's a three-headed monster. Find out what it is next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.